Leafs Nation, together, let's take a breath. And let it out. It has been a week of turmoil on and off the ice. We have battled one another so much over something we all love, and that is the game of hockey. And your fandom, it calls the Toronto Maple Leafs home. It has been a week with a lot of negatives, so let's all take a deep breath and come on, Doug, this team. I am just over the top with this team. What are you thinking, my friend? Um, so something I said on my last episode before these two games happened on Friday and Saturday was how frustrating it was to watch the Maple Leafs after coming home from watching my OJHL club play, the Toronto Patriots, who at the time were on a 12-game winning streak, uh, and just watching them play so hard. So that happened again. Only it happened in the the most extreme that I can recall in the four years that I've been on the OJHL. Patriots won eight to one against you know not a no, not a nothing opponent, the Whitby Fury, who were you know either middle of the road, middle of the pack club, but they beat them eight to one. And I turn on the Maple Leafs and I see them go up and just get spanked by an injured and bruised and battered and second night of a back to back Pittsburgh team. And I started questioning, why do I watch the Leafs? Why do I bother watching recorded games why any of it and that is never a feeling you want from a team that has this much talent on you know when when you're a team that is intentionally tanking the intentionally tanking year it would make more sense to feel it that season right but no instead we're feeling it in a season where we were told it would be a stanley cup contending hockey club so to me, that was one of the most frustrating. I'm sure for many, it was one of the most frustrating losses that we've had. Um, I was actually more frustrated by that loss than I was the first time we lost in Game 7 to Boston, uh, which would have been the lockout year, I think, right? That was, to yep. me, that was the 4-1 comeback. That was, I would rather re-watch that game than rewatch Saturday's game against Pittsburgh. Well, that is... An interesting, painful take. It's like peeling your fingernails off or nailing bolts to your eyes. Either way, it's it's going to hurt. So, no, I, I get you. And, you know, it seems right now there's three segments of Leafs Nation, and that is the Fire Babcock crowd, the It's All Dubas's Fault crowd, and this is Shani's problem. Actually, so there's four segments. And then there's the last one, It's the Players. Um, you know, so this episode, boys and girls... Ladies and gentlemen, however you would like to identify, we are going to break down the Toronto Maple Leafs each in those categories and see just where the fault may end up lying and what the problem is. And to start it off, I'm going to punt the ball into the air and look right at it. And I'm going to say Mike Babcock is the first thing we talk about. And today his quote was the most Mike Babcockian thing I've ever heard in my life. Where he says... Mike Babcock. I bet on Mike Babcock because I've always bet on Mike Babcock and I'll continue to bet on Mike Babcock. So when you're betting on yourself and talking about yourself in the third person, just a little bit of a thought, it's not exactly a very secure look that you're putting out there. When you're talking only about yourself in that regard, it looks like you may be a little worried. Um... What do you think, Doug? With that quote, just we'll start with that quote and we'll start breaking some things down here about Babcock. What do you think when he says that? Um, I mean, if you're... He has to say that. I mean, okay, maybe he doesn't have to say that out loud to the media, but he has to think... <laughs> you have to think that as a coach because you go... Th- the, some of the things you go through as a coach at any level will make you question your own sanity. Just as we're questioning our sanity watching this hockey team you got to think that him as a coach is feeling that times 100. Um, so it, in order for him to even come close to doing the type of job that an NHL jo- uh, NHL coach has to do, that's the attitude he has to have, is he has to have faith in himself and his own abilities, right? Like, like otherwise, what are you doing in the NHL? So to me, that's actually a – it's an unhealthy outward showing – 
of uh, of a healthy internal dialogue with himself. That so that's my take on it. Uh, is that y- you could do a lot worse than that uh, take from a coach after the Friday Saturday back to back that we just had. Listen, I, I agree with you in a sense that he needs to exude confidence in himself and show that he knows the process and that he believes in himself for the process. The problem that I have with it is the way that he put it forth into the world, yeah. speaking in the third person. You know, a famous quote from someone who made fun of uh, George W. Bush when he was the president, you know, sometimes there's inside thoughts that get outside and outside thoughts that should be inside. That was an inside thought that he put outside that should have stayed inside. It's um, great to be confident, Mike, but unfortunately, don't let us all know that you feel that way about yourself in the third person because it's very Babcockian, and you'll hear that for the next couple moments here as we blaze through some topics on Mr. Mike Babcock because we are going to break down each segment of Leafs Nation it, right now. It just it, remi- so, it reminds me of uh, George from Seinfeld. Uh, <laughs> like that whole shtick where you know George is getting mad like to me that's (laughs) you can't I don't know I can't help but think about that when someone starts talking about themselves in the third person I think we've done it on this show both of us have but it was every single time it's a person who's been driven to an extreme uh so you know yeah anyways like you said (laughs) well for me right now Babcock right right off the bat the one of the things that bothers me the most is it seems to be his failure to adjust. And what I mean by failing to adjust is you have a player, we just spoke about this already, but a failure to adjust with a player like Tyson Berry. You know what his bread and butter is. You know what he's supposed to do, what he's done his entire NHL career, and you have him for a year, and you're trying to beat him over the head to make him a better defense-first player. He wasn't brought here for that. He was brought here for his offensive skills, and you're not using him on power play one. You're not using him on the top pairing. You've now demoted him to the third freaking pairing when this guy, Tyson Berry, is one of the players, one of the best in the NHL. His teammates from Colorado say this, of knowing when to jump in and jump out of the rush. Knowing when to go into the zone and and creep down below the circle and put the puck in the net. Knowing when to do those things, when to pinch, and doing it smartly, and having the foot speed to get back to cover his own ass. But for whatever reason, with Mike Babcock as a coach, he is applying the almost like the shackles that Morgan Riley wore that one year where he didn't have the top power play moments. He didn't have the ability to go and be the rover that he was. And now he's applying that to Tyson Berry. Well, Mike, you have this guy for literal months. You don't have him on a long-term deal. You have him for a short period of time. He was brought here as a rental. That is what he's going to be because you cannot afford to pay him and Jake Muzzin and other players who are going to be coming up. So you need to use this guy to his strengths and abilities that he has. You're not going to change him in a year, and you're not going to make him this defense-first player. You need to use him where he needs to be used, and I really think you put him on the same power play unit as John Tavares, Austin Matthews, William Nylander when he's healthy, or sorry, Mitch Marner when he's healthy, and Morgan Riley. Those two players quarterbacking the power play with their shots and ability to move, skate, and handle the puck, that is where you use the guy like that. That is where you utilize him, is on the power play unit number one where he's done it for so long. Like I said, you have this guy for a year, and for me, that is a huge deployment issue, and it seems like he doesn't understand the fact that he doesn't have this player long-term. I don't know, Doug, am I beating my head against the wall here? Because that's what it seems like to me. He doesn't use this player and certain other players either to their ability or he overuses them outside of the ability that they have to play in. I mean, okay, so part of what that... Now, I'm not here to be a Babcock apologist, all right? Because in my opinion... Like, everybody keeps picking, well, it's either the players or it's Dubas or it's Shanahan or it's Babcock. No, it's it's all of them. Uh, all of those things have to work in concert with each other. So, to me, I see Babcock playing players. Like, you, you I mean, uh, you can make the argument, first of all, that the what knowing that, knowing what that player is capable of, now we know that. All right. Maybe Babcock didn't know that for sure because that guy was playing in a different coach's systems and he wanted to see how this guy would fit into our system. So takes 15, 20 games for, to figure something like that out about a player that you've never had on your team before. 
Um, the, the flip side is that, uh, uh, <laughs> it's just, well, it's just quickly so to tag on to what you said, Babcock has had this players, this Babcock has had this player on, you know, team Canada for the world cup of hockey. He's coached him with team Canada. He knows this player. He's used this player. He knows his strengths and abilities. So, you know, for to bring, like I said, I think he's and he said it in in media scrums himself. He said he's trying to get Tyson Berry to play their style of hockey, like you just said. But Tyson Berry is not a defensive first defenseman. He's just not going to be. And that was the thought process we all had when we saw him with Muzzin. Was Muzzin would be your safe stay at home guy, and Tyson Berry would be able to do what he did in Colorado and go. But for whatever reason, Babcock is not allowing him to do those things, which seems to be the problem. So I mean. The thought that I kind of lost was that, like, maybe Babcock is bailing Barry out. Again, this sounds like I'm going to be a Babcock apologist. Um, But it's not like Barry hasn't been given, has been given zero chances to be Tyson Barry from last year. Um, You know, as a defenseman, you get the puck on your stick in your own end. You can rush with it. That's a choice you have to make as a defenseman. And any defenseman can make that choice in any system. You get the puck on your own end of the puck. You can skate up the ice with it. Uh, you might get yelled at by the coach. Um, maybe the coach is is telling you to not do that to see if you do it anyways, to see if you're capable of Like, you know what I mean? This Coaching is such a nuanced thing, uh, especially with the development of defensemen. And I, I get, it just, it goes back to, it doesn't, what that whole style of coaching, which is very Babcockian, uh, that just doesn't fit in with, the terms that we have with Tyson Berry. I mean, maybe, but we, the thing is, we don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes. Maybe Dubas went to Babcock and said, look, no matter what happens, we're re-signing Tyson Berry after this year. We don't know that. We don't know that for sure. It would like, like it just, I feel like I'm, I'm talking, trying to bail Babcock out and I'm not. All right. I'm going to give you a, just another misnomer for Tyson Berry. Okay. I know what you're saying about a player can make his own decisions with the puck on the stick and you take the wrath from the coach, whatever you you know, you do those things. Here's the other problem. Look at any heat map for Tyson Berry and you look at the shots and where they're coming from. Tyson Berry is not a slap shot from the point kind of guy. He's a guy who gets into position in the face-off circle area sometimes and buries the puck. You go back and look at the things he did with Colorado, but if you look at his heat map this year, predominantly his shots are low percentage shots from the point, which seems to be where the Leafs are shooting the puck anyways, whether it be the power play or even five on five. So that again leads me back to coaching and deployment. That's it just for me, it all just keeps circling back to that because for whatever reason, that's what they're being told to do. That's the style of play they're being told to play. And it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't, you know, for me, it's like, you know, shake it up with the lines. Shake up. Shake up everything, you know. And I said that on the weekend, and you probably seen it on Twitter. When I said that, I got so many replies of people saying, well, that would involve Babcock being able to evolve and change his tactics as a coach, which he just won't, you know. I mean, for him, it's no, my, it's you know, my old habits, and it's my way or the highway, and that's it. And if you don't agree with me, whether you're a player, or a coach, or the GM, I don't care. I'm Mike Babcock, and this is the way it's going to be. And I'm going to go home and watch hunting and fishing, and I'm paid as fuck, and I don't care. That's that's Mike Babcock in a nutshell, to be honest with you. And it's it's, it's freaking me out because we have a team that could be effective, but if you do not deploy the team the way that is meant to be deployed. By the GM who has built the team, it is not going to be able to be played that way. And, you know, I, I don't know what to say. Like, And and another thing with Mike Babcock, and I, maybe you might agree with me on this, or maybe I might be completely out to lunch. Why are you line matching like your life depends on it? Why are you line matching every game, whether it be Columbus in overtime, whether it be Boston Bruins? We have all-world talent, Mike. Why are you line matching? Make teams chase you make teams game plan for you do you not think that teams now know and have the book on you that you will game plan to line match the hell out of them whether it puts you at a disadvantage or not you will line match every single well, time now hold on there hold are on, times man. and plates for that but right now this team needs to get rolling and with the talent they have you need to make teams chase you a little bit instead of always chasing how, them how is it possible i have to stop you there because we have to we have to keep our 
we have to keep our heads on straight here because it's so easy to go off the rails. How can line matching put you at a disadvantage? I have to ask that question because to me, very easily, very easily, you're you're constantly flipping players in and out. So as soon as a player touches the ice, you're calling guys back to get them off the ice, which could lead to an odd man rush, which we've seen, or lead to too many men on the ice, I, which we've seen. I just I don't buy into that as being the reason why this team isn't seeing success. Like it it didn't matter if it wouldn't have mattered Saturday versus Pittsburgh which I think is the essence of the Leafs' failure if they had been line-matching or not. Um, you can say it's a, a culture thing that the coach, that players don't want to play for the coach. You can say that it's an overall defensive system thing that costs us close games, but I don't think that attacking line... Because line, that's something that every NHL team does. All right? I'm not saying that it's not, but what I'm saying is you shouldn't line-match like your life depends on it. You shouldn't be constantly chasing Fair the enough. other team, whether you're home or away. Fair enough. You you eventually have to say, hey, we have world-class talent on this squad. We need to make the other team line match and chase us. But I'm saying if you... We need to dictate the pace. You can go and watch the Pittsburgh Penguins 2017 Cup run, and they that's exactly what they did. Like, they line matched out the rear end. They flipped Crosby on and off the ice like, like, he, was, uh, like he was a jumping jack. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's a strategy that's proven to work and Babcock did that during the gold medal run and it worked really really well like so I mean should it work with this hockey club I think it should I think that that's a style hockey that with the players that we have that line matching should give us the type of advantage that lets us win games six to one but it isn't that goes back to the criticism that you common here that Babcock's not willing to change his style he's been doing this for three or four years um is he waiting for the players to figure it out? I don't know. It, like, you know, you got to, you got to, it goes back to, again, this is a, a 50% basically brand new team. You got 13 players on the team that weren't on the team last year. Um, that's 13 players that aren't used to bat, to flipping on and off the ice the way Babcock does, right? I'm not like, I'm not trying to give, because my opinion, like I already said, is this is a, a systematic issue. This is an issue right from the top, Shanahan, all the way down to the, to the I don't know to uh to the Janssens you know and everybody in between including Dabas Dubas and uh Babcock all right there's there's all of these things have to work in concert with each other and they aren't um but well, I, we'll get to that we'll get to that <laughs> it's coming it's coming there the, you are right everything does need to work together I, I give you that I mean if, but, Bab, if Babcock had everything exactly like look at how good we were with Lamorello and Babcock right and that was a guy that's playing to what Babcock wanted out of this hockey team. So I like I feel like those those games that we lost with uh with Bozak and Van Riemsdyk, I feel like we were closer then than we are now. And the style of GMing that Babcock was getting is closer to what he probably wants compared to what he's getting now. So to put it all at Babcock's feet is just unfair. In, in my opinion. Oh, listen, we're, we're not agree. yet. Yeah. I mean, we, we are, like I said, we're dissecting each group of Leafs Nation and yes. Babcock is just the yes. first tier of this. So it's not all lying at his feet. There's a lot to blame for Mike Babcock. Here's, here's two more points I'm going to make, okay? Right now, we're staring down the barrel and I was corrected by Mr. Craig J. Button. And again, thank you very much, Craig. We're staring down the barrel of the fact that we need to be, I believe it was 37, 17, and 4, or close to that mark, to get a 100-point season, okay? So to know that today, to know that you really only have the chance to lose 17 games, and more this season, by the way, and we're only in November, and you can go to overtime four more times, but you have to win the balance, to be able to get a 100-point season, which we know how close the playoff run was last year, or the playoff race, I should say. So, me, I say it like this. I've said it before, Doug, and yes, it was me. I went back and listened. <laughs> Babcock is the one who got them here. He changed the culture. He got them to this point. Now, someone takes, needs to take the ball out of his old way, won't change, unimaginative hands, and run this team to the goal line. It needs to happen. Okay, this is the last point that I'm making on Babcock, but I think it is time. I think the players have tuned out. I think the media and the fans are tired of his cliches and cavalier attitude. I think it's time 
for a change in Leafs Nation. I do believe this road trip does not go well. We will see said change, but we will move on to the next thing unless you have a point to that, Doug. Um, well, just going back to the record that you're quoting. So the Leafs currently sit 9-9-4, nine, nine and four, uh, a 35-17-4 and four record, I think would match their record from last year, if I'm doing the math right. Um, 35, 17, and 4, Craig pointed out. I think he said it was... Give me one sec. It's two games less than they won last year, I think. Uh, no, it's it's not two games less. That's not entirety of record. So they have 22 points right now. Give me one second. This is very bad podcasting. I apologize. 40, uh, check them out. 44, they, 26, and 8. They have 22 points right now. That record equals 74 points, which gets you 96. They need 78 points to get to 100. So they need to be able to put two more wins on that. So, yeah. So, like I said, it would be they need to go 37, 37, 15, and 4 to get to 100 points. Something like that. With what they have Re- now. Regardless, that's th- that's basically that record would get them to – the same spot that they were last year, right? Yep. Um, so what I'd be interested in knowing is uh, if the Leafs managed to go that stretch at all last season, which wouldn't surprise me at all. And then the next question to follow from that is, do you think the Leafs are better this year than they were last year? Everybody says they are on paper, right? So... Um. <sighs> Underlying numbers before this five-game losing streak, they um, they were. Um, the numbers were there to prove that this team could pull it out and be well. Uh, the five-game losing streak has showed a lot of problems, a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so now, now you look at it. You look at it at a different lens because now they haven't won in five. They have two regulation wins in their last nine. Um, you know, I don't know what to say about this squad, Doug. Yeah. You look at that record. I mean, it's just you don't know what to do. And then you also don't know what to do about the fact that they need to win now 37 games. And, you know, it just it sucks. Like I said, it was a take a wind out of my sail Monday moment, you know, and then Craig had the tag on the end. Take a little less wind out of your sails. <laughs> so it was pretty, uh, pretty funny. But at the same time. I do believe that we can pull it off. I do believe this team has the talent to get back to your original question. I do believe that this squad is more talented than last year. Um, they've all grown. They should have all taken a step forward. Yes, you do have a bunch of new faces, but that just harps back on what I've been saying. If the old faces and the new faces are running into the same issues since I know the narrative has been put out there a million times since Christmas of last season, then it only boils down to one thing. If the players have been changed... That was on the GM to do, and he did. So the the players have been changed. The depth have been added. We know the big signings, not big, but you know what I mean, the big day of signings in the summer where they signed six guys in one day. You know, you went out and got Spezza. You did all these other things to address the depth. So that's there. You went and got your right-handed D, and now you're running into even more issues this year. So, again, it falls. this segment, guys, falls back into the fire Babcock crowd of why... It might be his fault because you've done everything. You fired the assistants. You've changed the personnel. Now there's only one common denominator that's still there. That could be the issue. So, my I have one last follow up question before we move on. Um, would you tank this season if it meant that we would outperform last season? So 2018, 2019. If we would, would you tank this season? Not, I don't even mean tank. Just like you know, not meet expectations. Would it bother you if then we follow up next season? Because if you go back to the long-term plan for this franchise, you know, one year does not a hockey team make. One season does not a player's career make. So, you know, is it... Uh, God, I don't even want to talk. No, you know what? Screw listen, it. I don't listen, want to finish no, no, that I'm going I'm 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 to fully answer your question. <laughs> Doug, God. The only way that the only way that that works, because we remember, we traded our first-round pick away. So remember, the only way that it works is that the Leafs were somehow able to draft in the top 10 because the, the pick is protected. And that and there was a beautiful tweet over the weekend. I forget who well, sent it. I don't even it, care about the, the, where the pick. The pick was it. No, but, yeah, no, but you should saying. care. You just, talk, you just talked about the future. Yeah. You know, the future would be drafting someone in the top 10 to be able to help this team immediately opposed to waiting for a player to develop, right? 
So the move of the summer might have been Kyle Dubas protecting that pick. You know what I mean? So that might have been the best move there was. But to answer your question fully, it can't be like the Leafs of old before we started making the playoffs where we make a push towards the end of the season and we end up, you know, being, you know, 11th, 10th. You know what I mean? Ninth. You know what I mean? It can't be in those positions because you not only do you forfeit your first round draft pick as you put it into a trade, but you also are now not making the playoffs. So you don't have a good draft spot and you also don't make the playoffs. So no, I don't want to look at it like that. Like you just said, but the only way that it makes sense if you tank this season is to tank your value that bad that you do what Tampa did when they got Sergachev and or um, Drew N and tank all the way to the bottom. But no, not looking forward to that. Not happening. Not going. I there. mean, in, in my uh, in my solo rant that I did uh, last week, basically I, what I said is I just want to watch entertaining hockey. At the end of the day, um, I would be. Hey, the eight five you... games of last year were beautiful. Yeah, so so would would you be willing? To like, if the Leafs don't make the playoffs, would you trade making the playoffs for entertaining hockey for the rest of the year? Because there is there is a way to lose hockey games in a way that isn't horrible. Now, the Leafs aren't doing that, but there is a way to do that. Would would that satisfy you for progression for the season? Is if the Leafs change the way they're losing games, but still ultimately lose, or do you think this is like a, a win do or die situation, basically? You got to make the playoffs. You made the moves. You traded away. No, you, honestly, yeah. you traded away Nazem Kadri. I get that. You you traded away a heart and soul guy, your team, and Nazem Kadri. You made a lot of moves, a lot of proclamations. You signed these guys. You got everybody together to make sure they were there at the beginning of training camp uh, to avoid all the hoopla we went through with Nylander last year. Um, you know, you made all of these moves. The table is now set. So we're going to move into Dubas. So we can talk about this with Dubas. Dubas has now set this table for this year. It should be a year where the Leafs go to the playoffs and hopefully make it out of the round one. And you know what, Doug? I don't care if they make the playoffs and they are a wild card. At least they play somebody different than Boston. <laughs> they have a different chance to play someone different. Yeah. So maybe you have a different thing. Maybe you get to play the Islanders, which would be a fun freaking series. Maybe you get to go and play Pittsburgh or Florida or Carolina. You know, who knows who you get to play, but at least it's not Boston round one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe it's even Montreal. Maybe Montreal holds on to a spot and they play Boston and they beat Boston. And then we play Montreal oh, round two. How sweet would fun. that be? Yeah. Okay, think about, I'm trying to think about the positives and draw draw those out. We're talking a lot about the negative tonight, guys, but the reason why we are is because there's so many different factions, and that's what I opened the show up with, was the fact that we all are battling amongst each other when really we're all just fans of the same freaking team, and we all need to unite. But if we air out our grievances, which is what I'm trying to do here with bullet points for each head of this team, which is Dubas, Babcock, Shanny, and then, of course, the players... Maybe we'll get somewhere. So let's keep chugging with Dubas. Yeah, yes. So if what was now reported is true, so this is a new thing that I just learned, that Dubas had written into his contract that he can fire Babcock without permission, then does he have control or does he not? Because we all know what the rumor was towards the end of last season when they were doing the exit interviews. He wanted to can Babcock, but unfortunately was told not to. Because the first interview he gave, he gave the interview of saying everyone is up for evaluation, including himself. And then the next interview, which was a few days later or a couple weeks later or whatever it was, he's saying, you know, I had a great talk with Mike. Everything's good. We're on the same page. So was that someone telling him, no, you're not firing Babcock. So tow the company line. I know it's in your contract, but we're keeping and we're retaining him. We all have bosses. So maybe Shanahan said, nope, this guy's staying. This is what you deal with. And I'm going to point one thing out. Usually when a general manager is hired, there is no head coach. Or the head coach that is there is instantly fired, and the general manager gets to pick his coach. That's usually the way that it happens. For whatever, for the lease organization, it hasn't. Because you brought in Babcock, and then you had Lamorello. Then you brought in Dubas, you still have Babcock. So Babcock has been there before both of those guys. Which to me is just insane, but... Uh, okay. It is what it is. So maybe now this is I don't think I've heard anybody voice this theory. Maybe Babcock's doing what Dubis wants. Straight up. This is maybe this is what 
Dubas wants Babcock to how he wants Babcock to coach. What he wants Babcock to get out of this team. Obviously, he wants them to get more than they are in terms of winning and whatever. But maybe the systems that Babcock's put in place, the way he's coaching this team, maybe that's what ba- what Dubas wants Babcock to do, and that's why Babcock hasn't been fired yet. So maybe Dubas is just throwing his papers up in the air. He's getting frustrated because he has a coach that's do- doing the system that he wants. This is, to me, especially in light of, of what is supposedly true about him being able to fire Babcock, to me, that's seeming more and more like the situation. Now, you can blame Dubas for for the that like you know that that's so this is the du- the blame Dubas section of the podcast so so you can blame Dubas for that um but yeah I just I I to me that seems like a possibility uh I don't know that it is necessarily the case maybe you know small things can make a big difference in systems in a game like hockey with that has so many awkward bounces and it's so fast-paced, and the positioning on the ice can matter so much. You know, little things can make a big difference in terms of the execution, but it'd have to be th- things that are so little that even Dubas isn't noticing it. Um, I'm just wondering, James, what you think of the possibility of the theory that Babcock is doing what Dubas wants? I think it's impossible. And the reason why I'll say that is because if you look at anything that Kyle Dubas has touched, whether it be the Sioux Greyhounds, um, whether it be the AHL Marlies, um, the reason why I say this is he's built all those teams one way, and that is with skill and speed and the way that they do it. And you look at what he's imploring on the Leafs, it's the same thing. You look at what Babcock wants. Babcock is um, looking for a heavier defense-first kind of team um, that doesn't seem to fit the mold of what the GM is trying to put forth. So I don't know what's going to happen in that regard because the two of them don't seem to be cohesively working. We're talking a lot about everyone needs to be on the same page. It seems like these two are not on the same page. It almost seems like Babcock is undercutting Dubis at every turn. You look at Spezza. Um, that's one that Dubas brought in, thought he'd be a great fit. Nope. You look at Patan. You look at when they got Muzzin. The first comments out of Babcock's mouth was, well, he's not a right-handed D. You look at him getting Barry. He's saying, well, he might not be the guy that fits our system. So every time that Kyle Dubas goes out and does something, you know, even last year, the depth that they have was inadequate. He's, he referenced Tampa and he referenced other teams to having deeper depth. So it seems like every move that Dubas has done to set the table or try to improve the relationship and move the ball forward, there's always a slight by Mr. Mike Babcock. I just I feel and like I don't know. I feel like you can't make those decisions until you've given them time to see how it's going to work. Like you don't you don't nobody knew what Spezza was going to look like coming at the end of the beginning of the season. Nobody knew that. There was that's that's an impossible to know. He could have gone out and scored 22 goals just like uh, Marlowe could have showed up and scored 20 some odd goals like it looks like he's going to do again this year, right? Like you just you just don't know. So to me I, I read that situation as Babcock went to Dubas and said, we need someone to pl- replace Marlowe. So Dubas went out and got him. So that's them. To me, that's them on the same page. And then they put Spezza in and Spezza is, I won't say underperforming, but he's not what they hoped he would crack up to be quite. Um, okay. I'm going to go just one thing on Spezza before you jump to the next guy. So opening night, Jason Spezza buys a boatload of tickets before that game for opening night because he's going to be in the Toronto Maple Leafs lineup. Finds out he's not playing. Finds out that he's going to be playing the next game away. As Mike Babcock, as the coach and the GM who went and got you this player, is it not the right move to put that guy in there and begin the relationship on the right foot? Do we have? Is that not something you should do to try to build confidence and try to build a relationship a foundation i thought the same thing on saturday night i know that goal would have probably still counted but i think you throw kaskasua a line and show him that you got his back from the bench and challenge that play there's like there's just so many little things there but anyways we're, we're talking about dubas and i keep bringing it back to babcock uh i just i i question I question whether, like, I just, I just don't buy in that these two guys. There's no way that Dubas would have started the season without some sort of affirmation between those two two guys in behind the scenes. 
And like I said, I just I look at the the Spets situation. But I'd like to know if there's a source because you said Spets bought a whole bunch of tickets for opening night. He uh, did. It was, it was confirmed. He said it himself. You can we can look up the quote or get the quote okay. or whatever tag no, it for the episode. But no, it's okay. It, it was done. So that's that's a little weird. Then um, it could be like, but the thing is, you don't know whether Babcock said no, don't play Spetsa. We're not going to play Spetsa. Or Dubas said, we don't want to play Spets opening night because blah, 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 blah. We don't know. Maybe there's, like, you just you just never know the, the, the full story behind stuff like that. To me, it reeks of something off ice uh, that that may have occurred. Um, that just it just seems like so bizarre of a thing, even for a guy like Matt. Like, Bab- Mike Babcock is an old school, classy coach, all right? He just doesn't do stuff like that. So to, to throw that, to me, that seems... That reeks of a new analytics guy that said, oh, well, you know, we looked at the stats and it doesn't make sense to play Spezza against this team, against this setup and blah, 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 blah. And we want to make sure he gets off on the right foot in Toronto. That's the impression that I get. But the thing is, we don't know. And but, but what we do know is that uh, there is a certain level of connection between these two guys. All right? that's That's my point is that... Dubas and Babcock are on the same page, at least to a certain degree. They could be a lot worse off than they are. Uh, I, th- I feel like people are kind of nitpicking at their relationship at this point. If Dubas wanted ba- Babcock gone, he'd been fired Sunday. He'd be gone already. He wouldn't be starting the next few games. He wouldn't be getting two or three more games like people seem to claim that Dubas is going to give him. He'd already be gone. I don't think it's Shanahan protecting him. I just, I don't know. That's That's my point. Uh, I'm. I, I. The only reason why I think that maybe they might keep him for the duration of the road trip, just to see how it goes, um, is because of the fact that you don't fire your coach on the road if you're a classy organization, which Toronto is. I'm sure they'd want to do it at home and have a press conference and do the whole hoopla and have everything there. We all know the optics of what happened when the Florida Panthers fired Gerard Gallant and sent him out on a taxi cab on the road. So you want to avoid anything being a circus or a story or a narrative. You know, if you fire the coach, you probably want to do it at home. So you can have the press conference. You can say what's happening, what's going on. And yeah, you move from there. But to keep going through Mr. Kyle Dubas and everything that's going on with the coach and everything like that, um, I think he will pull the trigger if the slide continues. I think this group can pull it together, but I think there needs to be another voice. I think, if you fire that coach, though, it's like you said last episode, Doug, there's a shield to break and Babcock's the next one. Yeah. And when that shield breaks, then the seat beneath Kyle Dubas becomes very hot if this team does not turn it around. Yep. Because then it is a personnel issue. Then it is the players you've signed, the players you've brought in. That is something you can't just fix overnight. But firing the, sh- the coach and breaking that shield is the next step. Now, one thing I want everyone to keep in mind, I forget what year it is. I don't know if it's this year coming up or the year after, but GMs are keeping in mind players for the expansion draft for Seattle. They are keeping this in mind because remember, to have certain players meet eligibility, they have to play a certain number of NHL games over the span of a couple of years, I do believe, which could be the reason why the Leafs signed those group of players and want to be able to get them into a number of NHL games. I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if that's the the reasoning for the Leafs having so many UFAs and RFAs at the end of this year. But if it's this year that Seattle draft happens, which I'm not sure, but um, you know, you have to be cognizant of that, and that may be something of why the players are being shifted and pulled and, and thrown around. And not to defend Dubis and be a Dubis defender. Um, but that is something that these guys need to need to be realizing, right? And players on the ice also need to realize that, you know, who's going to be protected, who's not. And I'm sure there's rumblings of what's happening, but that is just something that hasn't been brought up an awful lot lately. And we do have an expansion draft on the horizon. So always keep that in the back of your mind until it does happen, because that could upset the roster. That could upset a whole lot of things. And depending on who plays well and who doesn't also will go into who gets protected on the squad. So that is something I want to throw out there. Yeah. So uh, let, let's keep things moving. Uh, we're going to continue on covering the, the four pillars of failure. Uh, Cause I, I just, <laughs> I don't know what, what else to call it at this point. 
now the third pillar should probably be the players but since we're we're all caught up in management let's save the players for last we'll do a real quick uh pillar of shanahan uh there there's no way that this is the shanna plan all right uh we knew it got off track with with the austin matthews signing uh that kind of as good as it was that may have thrown a a, a, a spanner in the works you know that might have thrown a wrench in, in the engine of uh what of what he was trying to build um but at the end of the day, the, the personnel issues come down to the president who chooses them. Uh, the only person who really can fire Kyle Dubas is going to be Mike Bat or <laughs> is going to be <laughs> Brendan. You're, you're right. It is Mike Babcock. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I don't know. To me, I just I, listen. Yeah. Here, here it is. Kyle Dubas is going to call Mike Babcock into his office. And he's going to say, Mike, I'm going to need you to sit down. We're going to have a serious discussion here. Mike, we're going to let you go. And he's going to say, yep. And Kyle's going to like, that's it? He's like, yeah, Kyle, we're going to have to let you go. <laughs> and that's how it's going to go. And he's going to Shana, turn it right Shana back Hanna on him. walk in and say, guys, pack your stuff. You're both done. <laughs> and then in comes Richard Petty and says, no, we're just folding the whole organization. and moving it to Halifax, Nova Scotia. <laughs> oh, no, but listen. Shanahan, listen, I'll tell you right now. We know he likes to growl. And tell it like it is, I felt his wrath myself firsthand and then the other side of him, which is the human side, and realize how far he's gone with the growl. So who knows what's going on behind seas? Who knows how riled up he's got? We know what he was like when a player. We know he held a firm line when he was in player safety. But maybe, I feel like, for whatever reason, and people are going to rag on me for this one, I feel like they still have the training wheels on Kyle Dubas. I think if you have Kyle Dubas as a general manager and the face of leading this organization, and Brendan Shanahan is not out there a whole lot, if you have him as the face of this organization, you need to let him make the decisions. Otherwise, you look like the Toronto Raptors with Masai Ujiri, and they have a GM, by the way. I don't even know his freaking name, but Masai Ujiri is the president, but it looks like he does all the moves. So what you need to do here is you need to have Mr. Brendan Shanahan implore Dubas and let him do his job. The reason why that with firing Babcock was written in his contract was to be able to do that. That's the reason. But anyways, all this looked great at the beginning of the season, but now this has tested his vision. Now, after the scorched earth, the rebuild and the emergence, you have to have the cojones to let Kyle Dubas take this team to the next evolution, to the next step, or is it steady on the rudder? And that mantra is just driving me enough. It's enough, enough, enough. No more steady on the rudder. There needs to be change. Yeah, either either tell Dubas to do something or fire him. Uh, I, I, you can almost you can say the same thing. To, honestly, the way this has to work is you got to go. Dubas has to tell Babcock change something or you're done. Shanahan has to go to Dubas change something or you're done. And ownership and or the Leafs fans have to go to Shanahan and say the exact same thing. That's the chain of command here. Uh, now, one chain, last final chain of command that we have not yet got to, uh, the final pillar of the failure that is this hockey season so far, is the players. Now, I don't know that anybody who thinks anything negative about Dubas or anything negative about Babcock, I think the one thing we can all agree on is this team is not working hard enough. Um, straight up. There's, like, honestly, I feel like that in and of itself is almost enough. Like you're getting paid millions of dollars in one of the biggest hockey markets there is. And you're coming out and you're putting in the amount of effort you put in on, on Friday and on Saturday versus picks. That's what you're coming out with. You should be killing yourself to be on this hockey team. We had that here. This was working. This was the way this team was functioning was that high level of effort, that high tempo, that high momentum, that supportive whatever you want to call it, that was flowing through Leafs Nation. We know it. We felt it. I believe that was the year that we started this stupid podcast in the first place. That is gone. It is not there anymore. Um, and as much as you might like the core players, at the end of the day, those core players are the ones we decided to make our captains, and they are the ones that are underperforming. Um, the only one... I would say that's maybe sort of performing. Like, if you look at it on paper, you'll say, oh, yeah, well, Austin Matthews is going to have a pretty good... No. Austin Matthews doesn't back check, uh, at least not as hard as he should, and he doesn't skate hard to the bench. That's a problem issue we've had on this team since Kessel era and something that drove the fans nuts about Kessel. 
I'm sorry, that's not acceptable on this hockey team. That's not a part of what the Shanna plan was about. And that is what this team is now. Um <laughs> I don't know. You got what do you what, what do you want to say about this? Listen, I'm gonna get everybody to take a marker. Okay, and you're gonna draw a pyramid. And we're gonna break this down. This is what needs to happen. Okay? So your first top pillar is going to be players like Matthews, Tavares, Marner. Riley, Muzzin, Freddie. The aforementioned group is the one that needs to night in and night out be and set the example and lead the frickin' charge. Do everything in their power to win. No flybys, no shifts off, no loose coverage like you just talked about with Matthews. The message of the coach may be wearing thin, but... These guys are high level and know what they need to do. There is no freaking excuses. These guys have won at different levels. Muzzin's won a freaking Stanley Cup. They've all done something internationally. This squad right there that I just mentioned needs to be the guys you go to every night and look to for the pulse. You shouldn't be looking just at a Zach Hyman or a Trevor Moore to drag your team in. It should be these guys leading the charge and you know what i'll give mitch marner credit sometimes he does block the shots he is on the penalty kill he does add the spark here and there but you need a consistent night in and night effort from all of these guys to be able and these guys should be the ones to lead the freaking charge the other part that i want to say you have a guy like tyson berry and zach hyman these two guys are the jam to me hyman showed us what he can bring to this lineup he comes back and he looked like he was the missing heartbeat that I just talked about and that we need. He shouldn't be the only one, though. These guys already should be playing with that, but he came into the lineup and you already look at the battle and the compete from the guys on the Tavares line. Capitan looks like he's got a jump in his step. Now he's dangling, dipsy and doodling. Hyman's out there and he's digging the puck out. Tavares is banging around. Why is it when one guy comes back, he leads the whole charge? You shouldn't have one guy pushing you guys to do all of that. And now if Barry could play his style and ignite the offense and get us rolling, there'd be a lot more for teams to think about. I think you need to let this guy loose and just let him go. Now, that was the second tier of our pyramid. We're going to go down to the third tier. Guys like Cappy and Janssen and Derms. These guys are the oh shit, we forgot we had them and can pot goals and skate like the wind, but they need to pick it up. The reason why I say this is, these guys are the quintessential players to help you when you're down in games and your star players are being covered and smothered. They should be able. Dermot can fly and skate and shoot the puck. Kappen and Janssen can do the same. We've seen Cappy multiple times on the penalty kill on a breakaway. This stuff needs to happen. These guys need to ignite the offense and get joining in. They are the the bottom or tier because they're not your upper echelon guys who night in and night out will give you what you need to win they're not superstars these guys are players that are designed to be basically from your second to fourth line they can fit in anywhere in there but they can give you jam and spark now the bottom group of course is going to be guys like Mikheyev who's coming along nicely Trevor Moore again same thing but guys like Goat and Spezza and Timoshov and the list goes on. Now Pierre Ingvall, because he is up. You look at these players. They need to be able to help you grind out tough minutes in games in the offensive zone. They don't need to score, but they need to keep the puck out of your own zone. They need to learn to play down low, to cycle, to grind it out, just to keep getting win puck battles. Simple. Simple little thing, Doug. I've been saying it all year. Just win puck battles. That's what I want the fourth line to do is just constantly win puck battles. They don't need to be high offensive flying guys. Just win puck battles, keep it simple, and keep the puck away from Freddie or away from Kaskasuo or away from Hutchinson or Ann Roth or the endless list of goalies that we sacrifice to the ice gods because for whatever reason we can't seem to find after C-Mac because I think that's a curse by the way. Since we got rid of Curtis McElhaney, we can't seem to find a solid backup goaltender. But anyways, now, you look at that pyramid and you look at what should be leading your charge, what should be the jam of your lineup, what should be your complementaries, and what should be your help preserve a lead or help grind it out style in the bottom. You look at that pyramid, that's the way I feel the team should run and should be built. Your top echelon guys should be your 110% 
every single night should give you great shifts like you said Doug a back checking should be able to control the flow of play Matthews when he has the puck on his stick when he wants to is all worldly Nylander when he wants to charge that zone and do the dipsy dance he can do it and he can do it at will Tavares down low is a beast Muzzin he can lay you out or take the puck off you these guys all can do what they need to do and Freddie we know what he can do between the pipes but he can't do what he needs to do between the pipes if he doesn't have the freaking support. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and every way that you identify, we have just built the Leafs pyramid to success, and that is what we need to follow heading into freaking Vegas. Well, just to summer, I want to just point something out here, is we've got our four pillars. So if you're going to make a, a table, uh, generally you need four legs on your table. You can kind of get away with three. So to apply that to what we've been talking about, I would say that if any two of these pillars of the table of failure that the Leafs are currently eating their dinner off of uh, were to fail in themselves, so that means, you know, the players put better effort and more consistent effort and Babcock refreshes the systems or the players and Dubas or Shanahan and Dubas or Babcock and Shan... If any two of those are fixed, to me, I see that as being the way you, you end this table of failure <laughs> that's uh... listen Doug after this episode I guarantee you we are going to win in Vegas and we are going to start setting the table for success for the rest of this season and it may just save Mike Babcock's job which is not what some want but you know what if this team gets success and consistent success I am all for it so let them play like they did last year when they were winning 8-5 and then maybe rein them in a little bit when they know that they can score at will. But right now, something, whether it's systematically, whether it's deployment, whether whatever, whatever word you want to use, something needs to change. If you're not firing the coach, then change something because as my grandfather always says, give your head a shake because your eyes are stuck. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, that is Offside Hockey Talk for this week. Thank you for joining us. I know it's 50 minutes plus, but if you're taking your time to listen to us, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you like this episode, make sure you like it. Hit the retweet button so everybody can see it. Follow us on SoundCloud, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Make sure if you super like us on YouTube, you smash that like button and make sure you hit subscribe. We are looking to build the offside network up, so let's keep it going. And last but not least, I want to give a huge shout-out to Drew and the crew over at Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation. I say it every prediction season video, but we could not do it without them. Their support is unequivocally one of the biggest things we got this year. We super appreciate all the time and the effort those guys put into it. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you need your home spray foamed, be sure to check out msfi.ca today.